I mean, sometimes I remember thinking, I wonder if we got off of our bikes and walked if we'd move faster than going up the hill. <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie, sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Today's guest is Shauna Ryan. Shauna is a Paralympic cyclist and goalball player. She's had low vision all her life as a result of being born with cataracts. She wasn't introduced to parasport until the age of 28, and it gave her a place to belong and race without fear. As a child, Shauna's sister passed away, and later in life, she lost her stepdad to suicide. She now uses her experiences with grief and loss to help others. Shauna went through a different form of grief and loss when she retired from parasport, and she takes us through the complex emotions that followed. Shauna has a positive and infectious energy and a knack for encouraging others. She's wise, kind, fun, and an excellent storyteller. As Shauna would say, be brave and have fun. Also, enjoy our conversation. <laughs> Hi there. Hi. Hi. Shauna, you are joining us from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Yes. Excellent. Awesome. We are inviting you onto the podcast because of your story. And one of the ways we look at life through our lens is how our obstacles can be our opportunities in life. And that's actually one of the reasons we're talking to each other. Both of us have visual impairments and that has shaped our stories. And we'd love to hear more of your story today and the mindset of how you have overcome your challenges and how those learnings have helped you in life and work, in family, and of course, how all those lessons in sport have come through. Yeah, well, given that I've listened to a few of your recordings, I am absolutely humbled and honored to even be in the company of the amazing people, of course, of you both as well, given everything that you've done, but also given the amazing people you've interviewed, it's a real honor. <laughs> well, you fit right in. So we're the ones who are honored. Thanks for joining us. So if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit more about your visual impairment. I was born with cataracts, as were both oh. of my sisters. I had a family of many years ago, going back generations, a family of Russian immigrants. So I think there was a very small community where a lot of, I think a lot of genes were shared. It was just a very small immigrant community. Both of my parents obviously had the gene for cataracts and passed it on to me and both of my sisters. And given that I was born in 1974, cataracts were surgically managed very differently than they are now. I had many surgeries before the age of six Oh wow! to try to preserve vision and remove the cataracts. My first surgery wasn't until I was six months of age. So as a result, my eye was attempting to focus around the cataract. So as a result, for six months, it was trying to make those accommodations. Mm -hmm. So after six months, I had developed significant nystagmus as my eye attempted to accommodate. And then after this many surgeries, I was left with minimal vision. So, you know, 20 over 200 and your best corrected eye, I believe that's the general way that they look at it in terms of whether somebody is considered quote unquote legally blind, which I don't really like that term, but was term used often in the past. So there I was and both of my sisters. And so we have had low vision. It's all I've ever known. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've accommodated. So do your sisters have similar vision to you now then too? My one sister passed away when I was quite young, oh, but my other sister, we're very close. 
well, I had another sister after that who has normal vision, but my sister who also was born with cataracts, who is still living, she has very similar vision to me and she is also a real Mm go-getter. So we have lots to talk about, about our challenges and our successes. So that was in a way a real gift because I've always had somebody who's understood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. To know that you're not alone, to know that somebody else is going through the challenges and those same stages of life. There's challenges as a child, as an adolescent of not fitting in, young adulthood, trying to launch your life. If we think about that, if you go back in childhood, what was it like to be a child with a visual impairment for you? What were the challenges? Well, it's interesting because my mom was a very young mom growing up in a very conservative community. So I think she was very busy being a young mom and possibly not in the, certainly not in the most happy relationship. So I think she did an absolutely amazing job and tried to tend to us in the best way she could. And she was amazing. But I think because she was so busy, they were farmers. I was not coddled. And perhaps it was a real gift. I think my sisters and I, none of us were coddled. So I was just talking with my mom this morning. So I want to ask her about this. And she Mm -hmm. said, well, sure. When, you know, you all walked a little late because you couldn't see very well. And I would see you crawling over things where other kids might step over them or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think school was the trickiest part for me when you start to encounter other kids and Mm -hmm. expected to read a blackboard. Mm -hmm. But as for other things, my parents really treated me like a typical kid. I was expected to just do everything that every other kid did. Wow. And where are you in the mix with your other two sisters that had the same visual impairment? The two older sisters who were also born with cataracts, my very oldest sister, she's the one who passed away when I was 10. And then my other sister, her name is Jeanette. She's five years older than me. And now I have a sister who's eight years younger than me who has normal vision. So I was right in the middle. Okay. So I think I'm sort of that quintessential middle child. (laughs) Did it help having your older sisters kind of pave the way for you a bit? Like it wasn't this novel trail that you're trying to blaze? Well, it's interesting because the things that stand out to me were my older sister not getting her driver's license before me, because that's the big thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to drive. I'm not going to be able to drive. And I think that fortunately, we both had strong friend groups. So, you know, I saw her managing just fine and socially managing just fine. Mm. Aside from the driver's license thing, I think I remember the regular struggles of life because we had lots of family drama in our family, unfortunately. So I think that sort of superseded these other typical challenges that one might expect from kids who don't see very well. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, Lowell, you're similar in that you have a brother with the same visual impairment as you as well. And there's also five years between them. Five years as a kid is a long time. You're not really living the same kind of life. Like it does seem like a gap. Yeah. Five years is quite an amount of time. My brother was always quite a bit older, stronger. Not anymore, <laughs> but... <laughs> Take that but <laughs> Interestingly enough, we both were able to get our driver's license and then we both since have lost our driver's license, but I gave mine up before him. So it's different stages, but realizing that there is somebody else who's experiencing it with you. Yeah, it is fortunate. And even now, my sister and I will connect 
about obstacles like she's in management at our local telephone company and I have a pretty stressful job so we can definitely commiserate about the daily challenges whether they have to do with vision or not we're quite close mm -hmm. That's cool. we learn things from our families and it sounds like one of the big lessons mm -hmm. you learned is that you had to get through you had to get by it sounds like you became very independent. You did rely on your social systems. But what else have you learned from your childhood? So first from mom, you mentioned her. What have you learned in your life from your mom? I cannot begin, and I hope I don't tear up here. I cannot begin to tell you <laughs> all the amazing things I've learned from my mother. Because mm -hmm. again, growing up in a very conservative community, there was very strict boundaries about what a woman is supposed to be and what a woman is supposed to do. And so when she realized she needed to leave with her three young children and move away from an abusive relationship when I was only seven, that's when we moved to Saskatoon. I mean, she broke every boundary, broke every limit, did everything she wasn't supposed to do to save herself and her children. Mm. Wow. That took courage. Pretty extraordinary. Yeah. She remarried and I was raised by uh, my stepfather and my very strong mother. And then in 2002, my stepfather completed suicide and that began a whole other strength journey for my family and my mom. Wow. Her continued strength and perseverance and forgiveness and love is, it's played an absolutely beautiful role in my life. I am so thankful wow. <laughs> to my mom every day. Oh, I see how you're impacted right love is is flowing out of you right now that your love for her that you learned about forgiveness you learned about love you learned about courage you saw the strength within her yeah, i'm all teary too my goodness she sounds like a rock star is she able to relax now it sounds like she's had <laughs> quite a roller coaster of a life i hope she's putting her feet up <laughs> she tries even at 72 now, she is, it's kind of interesting. Her and I are alike. So as my fitness journey grew, I really discovered that my pension for training and fitness really comes from my mother. She's mm. still walking anywhere between seven to 10 kilometers a day. Sometimes she's jogging. She's just always moving. And I think one of our greatest lessons that she's taught me and that we now share is that a huge part of our mental health journey is staying active. Oh yeah. Her and I share that, we inspire each other. That's been a huge lesson in my life. Staying active is, it's like a medication yeah. for me. Absolutely. That life balance, it often comes through activity and fitness. Mm. Yeah, Lowell's a psychologist and I believe that's one of the first things that you say, hey Lowell is get enough sleep, eat well and exercise. Right, Lola, am I putting words into your mouth? Or no, is that, it's okay. part of the core of our well-being, the well-being of physical mind, body, and spirit. Yeah, well, and I work in healthcare and look at any research related to mood, diabetes, any ailment, arthritis, everything, and dating off dementia, all sorts of health conditions, exercises mm -hmm. like your top, it hopefully can be a top priority because it's so effective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When do you remember this being a part of your life? Let's go back in the sport journey of Shauna Ryan. Tell us about how you got into sports and how that has progressed through the years. Such humiliating beginning. <laughs> if I can start with the humiliation. Back in the 70s, well, and gosh, even through the 80s, 90s, I don't know. I knew nothing of Paris sports until the age of 28. 
So up until then, I was just doing my best to either make it through school sports, hide, whatever I could do to just socially survive. Did you actually participate in school sports? Occasionally I did. I mean, I was asked to participate in everything. So, I mean, obviously in baseball, I was just like, how, where can I hide in the outfield? It was just yeah. so awful. Okay. I remember in volleyball so badly. I was just like, I, I trying, but I mean, the ball would get lost in the lights. It was just awful. <sighs> mm-hmm. Badminton. I mean, how long can I spend in the bathroom? <sighs> and I'm sure they were teachers perhaps with kind hearts, but they had no idea how to talk to me about it or how to support me or how to give me alternative things to do. Mm. It was just survival. Oh. And then there was just some other humiliations where sometimes I was just set up on a rowing machine on the side of a court and just, you know, like a spectacle. It was just bad. But I remember once running and we were doing some track trials. And I remember this gym teacher, she said it in kind of a surprised tone. She was like, you actually ran pretty well there. Mm. I was like, okay. So that was my first inkling that perhaps I had... um, (laughs) some ability in endurance sports, but then nothing came of that. I did play some soccer, which I enjoyed. Again, I gave him my best shot, even though didn't always know where I was kicking the ball to, but um, (laughs) had some fun and I did some Uh long distance running and then nothing really until I was 28. I was out with a couple other visually impaired folks who I happened to know and a gal named Amy Alsop, who I'm not sure if you guys know or not, but she's a multi-paralympic champion in, in the sport of goalball. And she introduced me to goalball and that's really where the Paris sports journey began. Wow. That is super cool. Mm-hmm. And then you ended up going to the 2008 Beijing Paralympics with goalball, right? I did. I did. I really began training very quickly, had so much fun. I mean, all of a sudden there I was in this community of, of people who wanted to be active and wanted to do goalball. It was a real journey. I got connected with, with great trainers. I met this amazing, ingenious trainer named Bruce Craven, who really supported me. It was a ton of fun. I loved it. Mm. My husband played for a while too on the provincial team. Oh, really? Yeah, we could do some travel together. He can play internationally. So we had lots of fun together. It was a really good experience. Uh Is your husband visually impaired too, or he would just wear the blindfold? That's the neat thing about goal balls. Anybody can play. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It's actually one of the only pair of sports that doesn't need to be adapted. It's not an adapted sport. It's its own thing. Anybody oh. can be blindfolded and play goalball. So it's kind of kind of fun. So goalball is a very unique sport. And some people might not know what this is. You've played at the Paralympic level. So could you explain mm-hmm. the origins of goalball and also how it's played? Sure. I guess I can say it's an extremely violent sport. But just go back a bit. I believe it was actually developed for visually impaired vets following the Second World War. And it was a way to have activity and adaptation following their experience and having suddenly having low vision. So it is played on a volleyball-sized court. There are two nets at the end, which are basically like large hockey goals that span the length of the court. You have three players on each side, so you stay on your respective sides. Everybody is blindfolded, and there are two wingers and a center player. They throw between the two teams, they throw a ball that has a bell in it so that it can be heard. And so basically to stop the ball and cover as much floor space as you can, you're lunging out onto the floor in the direction that you think the ball is coming. 
and you try to stop it with any part of your body that you can. Hopefully that's not your face. <laughs> but it might be. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's happened <laughs> many times. But, you know, you do wear some protective equipment. But because you're throwing the ball so hard and you're blocking it by basically lunging out onto the floor, it is quite hard on the body. Mm. But it is also a ton of fun and a yeah. nice high energy game. Uh-huh. Do you think that people who are visually impaired and play are maybe a little bit better than non-visually impaired that play just because you guys are used to not having your sight? Whereas like your husband, if he mm-hmm. is used to having a sight, but is then blindfolded, he might not have the same instincts as you do. I remember that coming up many times and maybe, but at the same time, I mean, I've seen, I mean, the elite goalball players, they are just so spectacular, whether Mm. it took them a little longer to get there. Mm. You know what? I think it's more about just the right body at the right time. Because, I mean, obviously, there are amazing elite goalball players out there. And regardless of their level of sight, whether they're B1, B3, or whatever, they're amazing. Mm. Whereas I was pretty good. But then I discovered cycling and realized that my body was actually better fit for another sport. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't have that raw upper body strength for like super hard throwing. Oh, okay. So I think it's more about the body type and the person rather okay. than the visual level. I mean, my husband was a great goalball player, but he happens to be six, four and really strong. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that's going to help somebody whether you have vision or not. Yeah. He can just <laughs> lunge himself anywhere and probably be useful. Yeah. And like my friend, Amy, I was telling you about, she was just a super strong thrower. And so, I mean, that really helped her as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I don't, I think it has less to do with vision and, and more to do with strength and determination. So are there people at the Paralympic level in goalball who are sighted then, or to make it on the Paralympic team, do you, you still have to have a visual impairment, right? You still have to have a visual impairment. You can play at the national level oh, okay. as a sighted player, but not beyond that. So you okay. could represent your province, but not your country. Okay. And from your recollection, what are the classes in Go ball, and what defines those? Similar, I think, to paracycling as well. So the three levels of vision that people are classified in is B1, B2, and B3. B3 being the highest level of vision, B1 being the lowest level of vision. And Lowell, you may be able to help me out here. B1, I believe people have anywhere from no light perception to light perception, possibly shadows. B2 being where you maybe have some more vision. B3 being you're still considered quote unquote legally blind, but it's the highest level of vision allowable. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so still having some sight and many people in B3 can still read. Some people can even bike on their own, not necessarily safely or in races, but there's a wide range between nearly full blind to all the way to just blind enough. <laughs> but is that classification used in goalball when everybody is kind of put on the same playing field with the blindfolds? Yes. So it's the same classification system. And, but I mean, you can have anybody on the court. You don't need to have a mix of B1s, B2s, and B3s. And I think that is because everybody's blindfolded. So the classifications like in cycling then don't actually really matter. In some sports, they will. In paratriathlon, you get different time bonuses and such if you have more of a visual impairment. But in cycling, it doesn't matter. You're just blind You're just or all not. on the back of a tandem. And goal ball would be the same. You don't have to have so right. many of each. So that brings us to the cycling. So can you tell us more about that transition to cycling? Oh, gosh. It was, yeah, it's changed everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
looking back, only discovering Parasport at 28, you know, bittersweet. I think mm-hmm. I'd, I'd had a lot of good life experiences, but at the same time, boy, I wish I would have gotten into paracycling as a youth. But that's not the way things turned out. After 2008, went to uh, Beijing and had a good time with my team. Not the result we wanted. We finished fifth, but I mean, it was still an amazing experience. Came back and what do you know? Shauna gets pregnant. Oh, (laughs) with baby number one? (laughs) Yes, with baby number one. (laughs) So that was a game changer as well. (laughs) I tried to go back actually, even after my first baby, I went to a goalball practice, but I mean, again, it's so hard on the body. I came back from my first practice for the next few days, I could barely walk. My pelvis and my body were not ready for goalball. Then I had another baby and two beautiful girls Mm -hmm. that are now nine and 11. Oh, very similar to us. Oh, really? We have two boys, eight and a half and 10. Close. Oh, there you go. So close. She was almost one, my second baby. And I was like, I'm not done yet. I need another challenge. So I'm like, I'm going to become a Paralympic runner. So I joined the local track team. There I was out trying to run these 800 meters with these little university whippersnappers. (laughs) And it was really hard, but I, I was loving it. It was a really good challenge. This was with or without a guide? Oh, just by myself. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, Cycling Canada came out early that spring to do a talent ID camp. So I went out and coaches were there or just giving a bit of a presentation about paracycling. And they did the tests on the bike. And I got a report shortly after that stating that, quote unquote, I had some competitive potential. (laughs) So I was set up with the head coach of SAS Cycling here, Frank Mattis. He had a really keen interest in parasport and he got me training. He was like, I think we should take you out to road nationals. I'm like, Mm. road nationals? (sighs) You're kidding me. I have been cycling for a few months. I was absolutely gobsmacked. I could not believe it, but we went. I had no idea how to stand on the tandem. I met up with a pilot who I'd never met before. We were on this old clunker of a bike, but you know what? We gave it everything we had. (laughs) It was so much fun, but I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) But the training began. So Frank was just so encouraging. He really got me going. I got set up, obviously, with my indoor trainer, started doing as many rides as I could on my tandem in Saskatoon, got all that set up and trained for a year. And next year, almost got first in the time trial Mm, at 2014. It was such an amazing experience. I got set up with a new pilot by the name of Audrey Lemieux, Mm -hmm. an absolutely amazing, strong cyclist. We had so much fun. And then we went to our first World Cup that year in Spain. Oh my gosh. It was just, I mean, that's where you get introduced to the tight corners, the tight hills, the cobblestones, everything. (laughs) And just the chases in the road race. I remember after the road race and one of our amazing team managers, Arnaud Latou, he came up to us. I'm like, get me off the bike, get me off the bike. Like I could not breathe. I was so tired. I was so sore, but so excited. Mm -hmm. And that's where when that gym teacher first identified, you know, perhaps I had some endurance, I think I'd finally found where I could fit that in. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I just feel so much more suited to cycling than I was to goalball. You Mm -hmm. found somewhere you fit that Maslow's hierarchy, that need to belong. And you found that. And those cycling para coaches are amazing. You had Frank, 
Lowell had Stephen Burke, same thing. He saw Lowell's potential and pushed him into it right away. Like they just have this vision for you guys and they're just so passionate about it. Yeah, Frank kind of adopted me like a daughter. He was Mm. just so excited for me and he had a really neat appreciation for some of the unique obstacles as well. Mm. But don't get me wrong. There was no coddling. I was, it was, it was hardcore training. And then I was able to meet up and be coached by the amazing Eric of Cycling Canada. Mm -hmm. He changed everything as well. So I've been very, very fortunate. What did you learn about yourself and life through these coaches, Frank, Eric? One thing, and actually my husband and I have unpacked this term so many times, this little sentiment, this little mantra Eric said to me and my competition pilot, Joanny Caron, he said, what my wish for you too is that you can race without fear. Mm. He's just such a wise, amazing man. And I was like, race without fear. <laughs> like, I was like, what does this even mean? Fear is a healthy thing. You should embrace fear. That's okay. You know, all that sort of stuff. But the more that he began to explain it and the more that he began to just sort of talk about it, Racing without fear means that you have the calmness, the confidence, the training, the ability to sink into those beautiful competitive moments where you are so present that the pain, the worries, the fears are set aside Mm -hmm. and you are just in that moment. Mm -hmm. I began to meditate on that Mm -hmm. and breathe that in. And I realized, I mean, that could be applied to so many things in life. I've used that term with clients I work with. Mm -hmm. My husband, who's a physiotherapist, he's used those terms with clients he's worked with. Mm -hmm. It's taught me a lot. So Mm. it's in that moment, that acceptance of the moment and the presence of the moment that transcends the fear. It's about just being there. That's it exactly. You transcend the fear, you transcend any other myths about visual impairment, you transcend any other excuses or fears that you've had about trying things. You can allow yourself to just, as I tell my kids, just be brave and have fun. Yeah, Mm. beautiful. I love that statement. Be brave and have fun. That's what we always say to our kids when they're leaving the house to go to their activities. (laughs) Be brave and have fun. I love it. That's like the kids version of race without fear. Yeah, Yeah, love it. So race without fear, that's an interesting line coming from a stoker. Tell me about what it's like on the back of a tandem bike, Audrey and the pilots you've had. These are amazing, amazing cyclists and they can race without fear. And now you're stuck on the back of a bike (laughs) with them in full control. What is this like for you? Well, obviously it's an evolution. I think everybody thinks, yeah, you're going to be so scared. Because you have no control. I can't control the brakes. I can't control the steering. But I mean, it can be, if you have the right pilot, you just develop this beautiful trust and partnership. And I think because I was so excited to be training hard and being competitive and doing something I wouldn't have an opportunity to do otherwise, truthfully, I have never really been scared. I've just (laughs) been so excited and humbled by the experience to be able to do it that none of that stuff really mattered. I remember listening to Healy Shaw talking about extreme speeds. And I was like, yes, you know, I remember training in California and Temecula, ridiculous descents, but it was just what a glorious experience is like to every gym teacher who maybe didn't believe in me. Now I have wings, you know, and beautiful. 
So it was just so wonderful. And my competition pilot from 2015 to 2018, uh, Joanne, oh my gosh, like to this day, we're still such amazing friends. Aww. We're just like sisters on the bike. We had so much fun and such amazing trust and teamwork. Yeah. What a gift that has been through my life. Yeah. I am an inexperienced pilot. And from my perspective, I have a lot more fear than you two. And partially because of the lack of fear that you have behind me, Lowell, <laughs> I feel like, whoa, Just to make he's up. trusting me. <laughs> Even makes up for the fear. There has to be 100% fear on the bike and I have zero. And, and so Julie has to take 100% of it. <laughs> but you know what? That's why we trust you is because I know Joanne had said to me sometimes, she's like, I need to try to take the corners as quickly as possible. I need to try to be as edgy as possible in the technical pieces. She's like, but please know, I appreciate your life. And I also need to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. So yeah. she's got the edge, but she's also still yeah. reasonable. Yeah, that's good. And so as a result... That's where the trust comes in. I can yeah. have no fear hmm. because I'm with an amazing pilot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does it take as a human being to be a pilot? Tell me about your experiences with pilots through your life. Well, first of all, a myth, I think, is that pilots and the stokers are still giving 100%. Mm -hmm. You know, this is no free ride for the pilot and it's no free ride for the stoker. These amazing athletes in non-para sport, they discover just a new kind of sport mm -hmm. because controlling a tandem, basically a regular bike in tank form <laughs> is not easy. No. I mean, the acceleration is so slow <laughs> <laughs> and just the strength to manage that bike. I mean, I just have such admiration for these very, very strong pilots. And then to, on top of that, having to communicate and take on all these new challenges is great. Plus, I think when people have a passion for something like the elite cyclists that I've had the pleasure of working with, it's added so much focus to their life. And just like then that focus and passion was passed on to me. And I think when people have a focus and a passion, it distracts them and helps them through hard times and perhaps deflects from other negative things that we could choose instead. That's also why I want my kids to have passion in their life, whether it's art or sport or whatever. I think when you can dive into something and feel accomplished at it, it's so important and adds so much direction and structure to life. Mm -hmm. I've learned all those things from these amazing people I've been able to work with. Awesome. Yeah, it's been fun for me too to witness the unique bond that Lowell forms with his pilots. And he's had amazing pilots in the past and his current pilot, Ed, is so confident. I just love watching him and I, I trust him when they're ripping around on the bike. I wish I had just a small fraction of his confidence when I'm piloting. <laughs> in 2015, that was the first time Joanne and I rode together at the Parapan Am Games in Toronto. And the theme song was that Serena Ryder song, Together We Are One. Oh, wow. And yeah. And I first, that was our first time on the track together as well. And they played it all day every day at the track. So initially I was like, if I hear this song one more time, I'm going to crack. But 
at the same time, I mean, now, even when I listen to it, it just brings a smile to my yeah. face. Cause Aww. I was like, there we were together <laughs> for the first time. And it's so true. I mean, that's the tandem together. Yeah. We are one. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> Who was in charge of the music? They couldn't find like, a variety. <laughs> I know. I know. Where's your playlist guys. So that's a, a beautiful moment there. Para Pan Am games, Toronto. I mean, that's home games, amazing experience. Hey, you guys, you got to initiate that track. Oh, it was so track. I mean, oh my gosh, so much fun. I wish I could have done more. It was, I loved it. It was great. No wipeouts on the track? None. Oh, good. That would hurt. No, we just, we just had a great time. And I mean, unfortunately, I'm not sure if you've ever seen Joanny's legs, my pilot, they are meant for track. Like they are power legs for track. So she felt confident and had so much fun on the track. Uh She was just an amazing teacher. It was great. But then beyond the track, the time trial, it was tier worthy for sure. Mm. It was a bronze, silver, gold sweep by Canada. And Mm. it was me and my teammates, Joanny and I got the bronze medal in our time trial. And being up there with my absolutely beautiful, beautiful teammates, Mm. it was just an amazing moment. So it was my first real win in cycling. And it was, it was just amazing. What a beautiful moment. Yeah, it really was beautiful. It just, oh, lovely. Do you have your medals displayed at home? You know what? I'm not a metal displayer. Uh, they're tucked nicely into drawers. I just, that's it's just not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> we have Lowell's medals hanging in the garage where his trainer is. It's like part motivation, oh, yeah. right, Lowell? Look at, look, that's what I earned. That's what I'm going to earn more of. That's what I'm yeah. working for. <laughs> Looking for more Oh, bolts. good job. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So yeah. thinking about that moment, being on the podium, home games, Toronto, and a sweep, beautiful moment. Do you have any other top memories in sport, memories in cycling? Well, even before that, I was with Audrey and then actually Robbie Weldon and I, another amazing paracyclist who mm-hmm. I owe so much to, we actually switched pilots. Oh. Then I was with Joanny and she was with Audrey and Joanny and I, the first race we did was Defi Sportif and we were a new team. As you know, you don't have Cycling Canada support for Diffy Sportif. So there we were finding our way to Montreal for our first competition mm-hmm. together. We're wanting to put our best foot forward because we're hoping to qualify for Rio. And we make our way to Montreal. We have no way to get around. We got our tandem to the track on the subway. Oh. With all of our baggage, everything, helmets, this huge bike on the Montreal subway. <laughs> But we got there and we were just determined to pour all of our energy into positivity. Mm-hmm. We've gotten together the best crew we could. And I think we're just determined to just have fun and pour every ounce of fun and positivity into every pedal stroke. Mm-hmm. And we got the gold medal on the time trial. Wow. <laughs> I think that was a record for at least a while. I'm not sure if it's been broken since because we were just over 45K an hour for that time trial. Wow. It was just amazing. So that was the beginning of 2016. That was a standout moment, not because we won the gold medal, but because we knew at that moment that we had something really special. And before we even knew we had won we knew we'd had a great race mm. and those are the best races. Yeah. So that was the beginning of 2016. Yeah. And we just had so much competition that summer and it was just jam packed full. We really learned together and just had so much fun. And that 2016 was a big year because then you went to the real Paralympics, right? 
Yes, which was really a big deal. I mean, those hills were insane. I mean, sometimes I remember thinking, I wonder if we got off of our bikes and walked if we'd move faster than going up the hill. <laughs> Tanos don't climb well. <laughs> no, it's a lot of weight on those wheels. I remember, but we said, if it ever gets that we're like struggling, we're just going to say to each other, we're dancing up this hill one step at a time and, uh-huh. you know, in standing. And that's exactly what we did. And so, you know, again, we didn't win a medal, but I feel like we kept our team spirit and our mm-hmm. team bonding and partnership. We kept it alive right to the very end. So, I mean, uh-huh. what more can you ask? Yeah, that's what counts. That's uh-huh. what counts. We were together every step of the way. Gold medal for attitude. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which may not be enough for, for many, but... You know, you can't change it. You know, no. we gave it all we had. Acceptance, uh, transcendence. I mean, and these are the, yeah, and these are the best people in the world, you know. And mm. I believe I've heard it mentioned on your podcast that, like, these are very competitive cyclists. The standard is extremely high. Mm-hmm. So to be among them, I'm very proud, very proud and humbled. Mm-hmm. It's changed my life. Yeah, you should be proud. That's incredible. So <laughs> you continued with paracycling through 2018. Are you still doing paracycling? No. And I mean, and that's been a journey in and of itself because to reach such heights emotionally, retirement was extremely hard and painful for me, retiring from cycling. But in 2017, my family was able to come out to Brawant with me to train. And then they flew home and I flew to South Africa for world championships. Wow. They left and I cried all day. (laughs) I just missed my family so much. And so at the beginning of 2018, I was on my trainer and I suddenly, my breathing got very quick Mm -hmm. and I started to, I think it's the closest I've ever come to a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And I just suddenly realized that it was probably time to roll things back. And it was one of the hardest realizations I've ever had. Mm. I was just loving my training and loving my workouts and being the busiest and most organized ever in my life. (laughs) But I needed to be home more. I needed Mm. to be with my family more. So I made that decision. We went out to nationals in 2018 and that was our last event. Wow. That panic, that feeling inside was not a signal of anything that was wrong with you is actually a huge indication of what is right with you. That was love speaking, the alarm system going off, saying something has to change, Shauna, you have to see this. Yeah, exactly. And I think I tried to put it off for months and Mm. suddenly my mind and body took over and and Mm. sent me a very strong message. Absolutely. Very clear message. The alarm system goes off and says, you need to address this, you need to change. There's a grief with that, there's a loss with that, but also the prioritization of love. Your family. Yeah. How did your family take that decision? Oh, (laughs) I mean, every step of the way, my husband Eric has been the greatest support ever, always. And my kids, Willow and Bria, they just have always been so supportive. But even when it got to the point where, you know, anybody would come over and I could be out, I could be walking the dog, I could be doing anything, but they just started saying, oh, I bet mommy's on the bike. I bet mommy's on the bike. So so the busier they got, I was like, yeah, now maybe it's their time. Mm. It was a deep grief, though. I had to actually get a lot of counseling for Mm. and uh, game Mm -hmm. plan. I went to one of their conferences in 2019 and that was 
exceedingly helpful Mm. because I kept saying to myself, I've been gifted these many amazing opportunities. I've been able to cycle around the world with amazing family support, develop this cycling family and community. What do you have to feel sad about? Now you go home and spend more time with your amazing family, like cut it out. But I was grieving my cycling family Mm. who I was losing and I wasn't grieving losing the travel or the accolades I feared fading back into some of the old feelings I had about inability and Mm. lack of confidence. It's still a very complex mindset to unpack. Yeah. But that game plan conference I went to with other retiring Paralympians and Olympians, I can't say enough about it. Mm. It was very, very helpful. That's a very unique transition in life. There's a death. And before the rebirth, we're in the neutral zone. We're in between. And it's, it's a hard, awkward place to be. And we can't rush through it. We can't short circuit it. We have to live in it, sit with it. The only way out is through, feel the feelings. Especially when you're coming from parasport, where initially you felt different before you even discovered parasport. And then such a huge shift once you discover these people that are like you and this community and connection through parasport. Mm. And then stepping away from that again. Right, exactly. And so on the one hand, it was me being afraid of stepping back into fear. Because again, Mm. my whole mantra (laughs) is going to race without fear and tackle life without fear. And then I was fearing heading back into fear. Mm. (laughs) And part of it is very practical. Mm -hmm. I had a training pilot here named Susan Bloom, absolutely amazing lady. But she had an accident of her own and was unable to continue cycling with me. So I knew I was losing that speed and that power, that tandem connection. So I knew that I wouldn't be able to do as much cycling, obviously, as I had. Now, I still cycle to work now. (laughs) I do some cycling on my own. But I think, Julie, as you mentioned, I mean, if I attempted to race, I would hurt and maim myself and others. (laughs) So I ride cautiously (laughs) on my own. And on familiar routes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's important too, also. <laughs> yes. So there was a practical loss mm-hmm. of the actual amazing cycling. Yeah. You had belonging, you had connection, you had all these experiences, and then this pull to spend time with family. There's a fear of going back into fear, going back into maybe mediocrity, going back into something. And that meta fear, the fear of the fear started mm-hmm. to come. Yeah. How have you dealt with that meta fear? Well, again, with counseling for sure, but with great support of my family. And there's another parasport athlete. Her name is Bobby Jansen. What a force is all I can say. She's a national powerlift champion. And she did play goalball for a while as well. She has vision loss as well. And she has been such a dear friend. One day I was walking actually down the street past our local YMCA, and she was sitting out on the bench having lunch. And she was like, you know, why don't you come teach spin classes at the Y? Why don't you come teach cycling at the Y? I'm Hmm. like, forget it. (laughs) Never. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, she wrote me in. And so for the last several years, I just dove in. So I've been teaching spin classes at the YMCA twice a week for, oh, oh, two years now. And it's such an outlet. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes I feel guilty. I'm like, I'm having way more fun teaching this than my participants. And it's (laughs) If you're having fun, they're probably having fun too. I hope so. Like, (laughs) it's just such a thrill. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. not the same, but it's an evolution. Yeah. 
And I, some days after work, I say to Eric, my husband, I have no energy for this. I want to lie down on the couch. But I mean, I go, it keeps me accountable to fitness too, which is totally awesome. Yeah. But by the time I get there and by the end of the class, I'm like, let's do it again. Like it just, <laughs> it just feeds me. I have so much fun and I have a lot of creative license. I just mm. love being able to read my audience and trying to figure out what's next and what we're going to do and the creative tracks I can come up with. And uh-huh. so, I mean, that's been a lovely piece of me finding a way also to give back because I volunteer at the Y. I mean, I get a free mm. membership, but I mean, come on. So anyways, <laughs> it's a good way to give back as well. Uh-huh. Also, I think I've been able to share my story with clients at work and as mm-hmm. well who are really struggling and letting them know the possibilities and pride that they can enjoy and deserve to have. I remind myself, remind my kids, remind my clients, you know what, you have every reason to hold your head high. Let's do this. Own who you are. Love who you are. It's going to get you through. Wow. Powerful words. (laughs) Lessons learned out of pain and pain leaves gifts for those who are looking for it. And you've learned those lessons, and now you have a beautiful way of transferring that. You're uniquely gifted, Shauna Ryan, to support Uh, those people in your life. Yeah, well, I have a lot of clients who, as an occupational therapist, I work on a rehab board, and a lot of clients, I feel, who are dealing with experiences that I can only begin to empathize with. I'm in a really unique position to have tackled some obstacles and be able to, in even a small way, begin to pass some of that on as I mean, I'm just lucky to be able to do so. Just a curious love story, interest of mine. Did you and your husband meet in rehab med by chance? You know what? (laughs) Funniest thing, I didn't expect to. I'm like, you know, I'm in my late 20s. Actually, my father had just passed away, as I think I'd mentioned earlier. I was at a very raw place. I'm like, I'm never going to meet anybody. And I just didn't think I would have anything in common with anybody in the hospital. And lo and behold, this new physio starts working casually in the department. And uh, yeah, there he was. (laughs) The rest is history. Well, the two of you plus me, I am a speech pathologist, so we are the rehab med trifecta. All right. (laughs) Absolutely. You reflected a few times on a theme that I didn't expect for us to touch on today. You've mentioned the themes of loss and grief. You lost a sister. You lost a stepfather to suicide. These are huge life-changing moments. Can you speak to that? You don't have to go into the details if you don't want to, but how that shaped your life? Oh, I don't mind at all. If I can pass on to anyone, any, even like cereal grains of wisdom or, Mm. or support, I'm happy to do so. So yeah, losing a sister, I mean... I was so young. So, I mean, it was just huge and I didn't understand it. So, I mean, that's been a gradual process over the years for sure. And then my stepdad who passed away, who for all intents and purposes was the dad I knew. Mm -hmm. Suicide is an extremely complex and traumatic loss. As many people say who have lost a loved one to suicide, you know, there was my life before they Mm -hmm. took their own life and then my life afterwards, because you essentially feel as though your life has been shattered Mm -hmm. and you just gradually try to put the pieces back together. But, you know, it's, it's not the same. Fortunately, I was able to connect with a group here in Saskatoon who I went through a, a group process with them and individual just sort of peer support. And actually, I am now a facilitator of that group. So Mm -hmm. we lead a peer support group for people who have lost others to suicide. 
it's a pillar of strength for me in my life as I support others because yeah. I see this amazing strength and resiliency in people after they've lost someone to suicide. And it's a real honor because without that support in our lives, these losses can be absolutely devastating. So I received that support, mm -hmm. which really essentially saved me. And I hope I'm continuing to help others. I think it's very topical these days. We need to talk about mental health struggles. Mm. My stepfather was a very proud man who never would have discussed his weaknesses, his challenges. Instead of being able to face those, he succumbed to this illness, you know, this illness of deep, deep depression. And I don't mean that as any weakness on his part. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, he was suffering from his own struggle. But on my end, I want to remind people that they can learn from grief. Mm-hmm. They can seek support from others and their life may never be the same, but the journey does continue. And with time, we can realize that we probably have more strength than we realized we had. Oh, beautiful. So I'm very, very fortunate to be able to pass on what's been given to me. Hey, you've also been uniquely gifted to be in that position of leadership. It's the club you never want to be a part yeah. of, but here I am and... Yeah. It's a unique group because all of us are survivors of, you know, losing someone to suicide. Mm -hmm. When you can support others and you have a special knowing, yeah. it really brings a heart to a situation yeah. because there's just the sense that you get it. Yeah. For them to feel understood and heard, you get it, right? You've lived it. You've experienced it. It's not just words in a textbook. It's not just cheap little statements of it'll get better. Time heals all wounds. It's something <laughs> deeper within you that you can be there and journey with them on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. What a journey. What a <laughs> gift you've had. And we know we can't choose the environment. We can't change the environment, but we can choose our reaction to it, our response to it. And it sounds like you are choosing to respond with positivity and hope in difficult times to overcome your obstacles with a healthy mindset and love. It's not always been pretty, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I try. I try. It's certainly been a series of challenges, but I've been very fortunate to have the support around me to, mm. you know, manage some of these obstacles. So you've learned lots in life and you're transferring this on in your work, in your life. One of the other ways that we got to know you was through the Mindset Go TV show where you're mm. able to use your mindset and connect with another amazing individual, Mary Beth. And just wondering how that experience was for you to share some of these on TV. And Mary Beth was one of our very favorites. So you lucked out with that one too. <laughs> uh, what a sweetheart she was. Yeah. She just had such a kindness of heart. Yeah. And just to put herself out there like that, I was just really inspired by her strength. I mean, it was such an amazing experience and what a real privilege to be a part of something like that. Yeah. It's fun being part of the whole making of a show too, hey, with all the behind the scenes and the crew. We love the crew. Totally. <laughs> Everybody was so kind and just the effort that was put in, it was striking. Has it made you watch TV differently in general now? Now that you know, like the different angles and the different takes. And For sure. I mean, there's so much involved and the thought put into everything. Yeah. I actually just returned from Montreal in September. I was asked to take part in a documentary slash art exhibit by yeah. a really amazing Montreal artist named Carolyn St. Laurent. After Nationals in 2018, she asked Joanny and I if we would take part in an art exhibit she had received a grant for. And then, of course, COVID, COVID, COVID. <laughs> so it finally happened in Montreal this September. And she has a real passion 
for advocating for and celebrating women in sport mm. and para women in sport. And she's done some amazing work. So again, I got to be a part of this amazing crew that was interviewing Joanne and I on the bike, but at the same time, we're part of this art exhibit where she mm. displays our thighs Oh, in cool. a cycling formation. Wow. And the reason for the thighs is because she's an artist and has cool ways of <laughs> displaying things. Yeah. It's tactile for people who are visually impaired. Oh. So on the screens, you're going to see and hear our story as we're on the tandem. But also people can touch and see these thighs and imagine how they would be in motion on the bike. Oh, wow! And so to sort of exemplify and advocate for powerful women in sport, because <laughs> women are grossly underrepresented in fitness and sport yeah. through the media. This is a very, very powerful woman. What an honor that was. Much like the Mindset Go, there are people out there doing amazing things. It's very exciting. How can people access that? Well, it's going to be an exhibit that will first come out in Montreal, probably in 2022. And then she hopes to travel with that exhibit, at least to Saskatoon and Vancouver, where Joanne and I are from. Okay. So that is up and coming. But I would Google her because she has other amazing exhibits as well. Oh, it's really neat. I love that you're part of that and this idea of empowering women, empowering girls in sport. The idea is that this can help with our whole life, with our mindset, with our mental health, with coping. So helping more young girls learn to find themselves in sport, to be safe in sport, and to find a way to express that. And then those lessons that translate. So thank you for that work as well. Yeah. And I think it just all ends up like, again, as a young girl who had no confidence, and now I feel like... Honestly, I mean, I never want to appear conceited, but I hope I can humbly own who I am. Well, I, I do. I humbly own who I am. I'm just so happy to have the life that I had and the opportunities. <laughs> I couldn't ask for a better life. You don't sound conceited at oh. all. And I love how I hear from you, how you came from a place of not having confidence and now you do know yourself and you own your story and there's a confidence that comes with that and I think that's a really cool thing for people to hear so thank you for sharing and you're leaking gratitude yeah. I love it gratitude and love and I love that statement about okay say your line again about being brave and having fun is that is that what it is be brave and have fun let's Aww. do this Aww. be brave have fun let's do this <laughs> love it love it well mm. that was exciting so great to hear your heart to hear your mindset and to hear your story. Thank you for taking the time today to share it with us, for sharing your passion and your love and your story, the ups and the downs, the tears, the grief. This was raw and vulnerable, and it takes somebody with some strong character to be able to do that. So thank you again, Shauna. And I really just want to thank you both for allowing people the opportunity to tell their stories, because I think we can tell people a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. We can demand things of people, but I think storytelling what an amazing way. So I hope you guys are both so proud of everything that you're doing. It's such a beautiful eye opener and such a beautiful medium. So well done. Well, thank you. It's guests like you guys that make this special to listen to. So thank you. Thank you for the kind words. We will take that as fuel as we continue on our podcasting journey to share <laughs> yeah. these stories. This surprise pandemic <laughs> podcasting project journey that, that we began. <laughs> Aw, well, thank you so much, Shauna. Yeah, if you're ever coming through Saskatoon, do I have a spin class for you? Oh, oh awesome. Love it. I love a good spin <laughs> class. I'm a pretty competitive, though. So uh... <laughs> have a lovely day. Thank you. You too, Thank Shana. You. Bye. Bye. Thanks again. Bye-bye.
Shauna Ryan. What a rock star. Goalball and cycling. And that is about all I knew heading into the conversation. And then she just blew me away with the rest of her story. So much more. So much more. This story right from a young age, cataracts at birth. I hadn't heard of that before. And that's interesting piece about having to have these surgeries early on and the impact, but then the power of her sisters. And we could have spent a lot more time talking about her childhood and the lessons learned from her sisters. There's so much there. And then this powerful woman, her, her mother, who is mm. going against the cultural grain and trying to protect herself and her daughters and give them this life. A young mother of three visually impaired children in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And she still broke the barriers and moved forward. That's pretty incredible. Sounds like her mom was brave. So these roots of bravery and courage come deep within. And also the sense of that her mom was now continuing to walk and continuing to have fitness in her life. And this, this aspect of maybe Shauna's later in life falling in love with fitness, mm. how it's changed her life, how it's given her an outlet. It, it created a place of belonging her and in that place of belonging she was able to experience some amazing highs and gain some confidence in her competence to experience the highs of sport and the community around sport that has been so important to her it's cool that she can still have a little bit of that with the spin class that she's Mm -hmm. leading at the y that reminded me of the days that you used to lead spin classes at the y also the things we do for a free y pass (laughs) yeah no kidding do you want to continue that now so I can score a free Y pass again? That'd be nice. Yeah. YMCA spin class. That was a good period of time in our life before we had kids. Yeah. I we would that. go early mornings, 5.30, 6, and do the early morning spin class. Lots of good energy, fun. I also loved just finding the right music. Yeah, I was going to say, you, and you really connected with the participants as well. And you remember mm-hmm. one friend of ours, Stacy, in the class, she loved Backstreet Boys. So one day you surprised her and did a full Backstreet Boys playlist. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody in the group. <laughs> no one else came back the next week, but, <laughs> but she Stacey loved it. But Stacy was there. And remember, we're like, please show up today. Please show up today. Because what if she didn't show up that day and you had a full <laughs> Backstreet Boys <laughs> Uh, Ah, good memories. Yeah. Good moments in time. The other theme that really came out is this idea of grief and loss. And Shauna's had some really big moments of grief and loss. As a young girl, she lost her sister. Then later in life, she lost her father to suicide. Through that process as well, the loss of the family unit during the domestic violence. And then even these moments of losing sport and having to grieve sport, there's been these big moments of grief and loss. And She's learned a lot of lessons about grief and having to get through that. And now she's also using those lessons to share with others. Mm-hmm. She has this wisdom. She's super kind. Mm-hmm. You can feel the love and care and compassion she has for others. She's funny, right? Yeah. She's, she's quite the woman. And we are very blessed to have this opportunity to talk to her. I have raced at the same races as her, but I've never had the opportunity to have a deeper conversation. So mm. since she retired, I've continued on. Many of the names she mentioned throughout, I know those same individuals. It they was sounded really, familiar to me too. really exciting. Um, so she's retired as I kind of launch into, into my time here with Cycling Canada. So thank you again, Shauna, for mm. being with us today and sharing your incredible story with us. Yeah. And thank you guys all for listening. Until next time. Love you guys. Bye. 